In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Morning, mate. How are you? It's 7.30, mate. I've had a late one last night. I want to go back to bed. Mate, I'm outside Buckingham Palace. There's no Walmart here, mate. Um, mate, hard knocks last night, mate. I've been desperate to uh, call you. It's been so, so good. Mate, it's so good I don't even know where to start. Um, mate, Coleman walks in and uh, just goes to Hugh Jackson. Basically, I, I want to be traded. I'm not, I'm not uh, training with the second team. Uh, your man, uh, Caduce... His dad's on there. His dad's had heart attacks, three heart attacks. Mate, the whole show's about Caduce. Everyone loves him. Uh, Baker with uh, OJ Beckham. Uh, he's absolutely on fire, mate. He, he just, mate, is, I can't describe how good the show is. And then you've got, like, Greg Williams going nuts. Uh, Hugh Jackson swearing going nuts. Todd Haley's just absolutely destroying everyone. Uh, mate, uh, Callaway has to stand up and apologise. Mate, it is... Ten times better than the first one, mate. It's just, mate, it's just absolutely awesome, mate. I can't wait until you uh, watch it. I'm going to get another half an hour of sleep, and I'll find a link, and I'll give it a watch. Mate, you need to start getting into this 24-hour working mentality, mate. We've got a lot of fans to keep happy. No, mate, I do sleep, drink, and salary cap. You do the 24-hour, keep the fans happy, book all the guests... And uh, sleeping, drinking, that's my job, mate. Sleeping and drinking. All right, mate. My mate, mate. Anyway, listen to it, mate. It's absolutely... Oh, watch it, mate. It's absolutely amazing. Anyway, mate, let's crack on. Cheerio, mate. Have a good one. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm really, really looking forward to this podcast. It's, uh, someone's reached out and said, I don't actually agree with you on that. So uh, I, I, it's great to have them on and we're going to have a discussion and uh, there's lots we agree on. There's some stuff we don't agree on and uh, it's going to be exciting just to have a good old debate about it. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one too. Uh, we've got on the other side of Skype, uh, Hiram Boyd. Hiram, how are you? Funny yourself. I'm good, good. Thank you very much for your time this evening. Yes, sir. Good, good, good. So let me ask you a few questions first of all. Uh, so tell us, why are you a Browns fan? Um, you know, being from Cleveland, how could you not be? Um, born and raised here, grew up here, um, been back and forth. Um, for the most part, I've been here all my life. I went away to school in another state and... I've been here ever since, so. Okay, great. And uh, tell us, um, how far away do you live from the stadium? About 10 minutes. Okay, wow. So uh, you can, f from your house to the ground, you could be there in like 10, 15 minutes with traffic, yeah? Yes, sir. Can you actually see the stadium from your house? No, not quite. i got to go about, mm, about five minutes before I can see it. Okay, good, good. And uh, what's your best ever Browns memory? My best memory, uh, that's a good question. I would say the 1986 Cleveland Browns and the, Jet, the Jets game. 
Or, or no, uh, the Jets game and the Bill Belichick era. Oh, okay. And uh, how old are you, mate? I am 42. Okay, good. Well, I'm uh, 37, and Jack, you're a little uh, nipper. You're what, 26? 26. Yeah. Wow. We've got a kid in the we've got a kid in the studio today, uh, Hiram. Yes, sir. And uh, what's your uh, favorite uh, Browns uh, player? Current. Current. I really don't have one to be frank with you. Um, I like them. I like some players more than others because of ability, but I don't have a one that that sticks out like, oh, that's my favorite player. I am a big Derrick Kendrick fan. Put it okay. to you like there that. There we go. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, good smash on. Uh, uh, on Friday night. Yes, yes. Good ball player. Yeah, good, good. I'm excited about him. Yeah, I think the Kendrick per, uh, Peppers matchup is a uh, battle is one of the most fascinating, probably the most fascinating for me. Yeah. It's it's one of them players that they did it a couple of times. I sort of saw during the preseason game, but I'd love to see it more. Way you drop one of them linebackers, get Peppers and Kendrick both on there because I just think. The rest of the NFL is moving to this sort of four-two-five defense, and if you can get sort of Peppers and Kindred on there, those two players, they they just they do special things, and uh, I I just love to see more of both of them. They're both great players. Why take have one or the other when you can have both? I I agree with you, but however, I do want to leave it to Greg Williams to be able to sort that out. I think we have sometimes we have too many guys that sit at home telling the defensive coordinator what they should and should not be doing. Such a diplomatic fan, I love it. Uh, Hiram, keep an eye on the time. Question for you: What body part are you willing to give up for the Browns to win the Super Bowl? Uh, my ears, because I don't want to hear Browns fans talk anymore. <laughs> Do you know what? I love That's it. the best one we've had so far. Brown, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and not all Browns fans are like this, but in my opinion. Guys, I think they they've hurt the team in, in a lot of different ways uh, with you know nonsensical nonsensical things that they say and believe that the media throws out there. And the sad part about it is you have an ownership an ownership group that that makes decisions based on what the fans and media think and what they say. Mm, good point. Yeah, I think um, we were discussing it before that. Um, in uh, in soccer, um, mm -hmm. the owners really take they go in their own direction, and mm -hmm. they have a really bad relationship with their fans. Um, but I think yeah, definitely in the NFL, there's a stronger relationship with the owner and the fans. I heard um, Ashton Villa, Randy Lerner's old team. Uh, they, he 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 was notorious when he owned the Browns. He did that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's um, you start. Not spending the money in the right places, the fans get on the owners very quickly, very very quickly. He was just incompetent. He was incompetent. He was a, a rich kid that inherited a, a situation and didn't know how to handle the whole situation with the Browns and uh, with apparently the soccer team. I mean the, the soccer or football team, English football team, and uh, it, and it showed. I mean, I was reading some quotes about what Butch Davis, what he did to Butch Davis, and it was sickening because the Browns were headed in the right direction until uh, Al Lerner died. Yeah, yeah. But once again, keep an eye on the time. Let's go straight yes, into this. This is the big one. Jack's been looking forward to it. 
I know Hiram, you've been there sending me tweeters to make this happen. So um, uh, let's do the great debate. Okay, very simple. Uh, you, you've both uh, come up with some questions. Okay, I'll, I'll, what are you guys' thoughts on Hugh Jackson overall as a head coach? I'll just start. I know uh, I'm pro Hugh Jackson. I think he's been dealt with uh, some very bad cards over the last two years. Uh, his heart's definitely in the right place. I think he has a strategy. And, uh, yeah, I think um, he he's shown in the past that he's capable of getting results. And I think next season he could surprise everyone and do well. Jack? So, everyone sort of last season was saying Brown's the roster and everything. It wasn't perfect, but... There's, there's a solid three wins in there. So no one was expecting Hugh Jackson to go out and get eight wins last season. But three was fair. And the plan, sort of year one of Sashi Brown, let's tank it. Year three was let's go out and get some real success and sort of do the business. Year two, they came out and said, look, we really don't have a clue. This could go great. This could go really bad. We don't know because no one's really done it before. And... The one thing that surprised me sort of coming out of Hugh Jackson is not all players, but the vast majority of players really liked him. And I found that odd because he literally in the sort of the second half of the season went out and started just blaming them for everything. He was having a go at they're not good enough, they don't know what they're doing. And you you saw some of the players snapped under that. You, Jason McCourty is a great example of just came out and said, Look, I'm sick of our head coach coming out and saying we're not good enough to win games. Yes, we're not good enough to win a Super Bowl, but we are good enough to win games. And it's sort of, I fear it's carried on into this season. You had Todd Haley during Hard Knocks when Hugh Jackson was like, nah, you guys ain't good enough. None of you have been in the big seat. And then Haley just flicked them absolute daggers. And uh, there's been some great tweets, like quoting that picture. I've been just like, none of you had this seat, and it's just like, or Haley and uh, Greg Williams obviously had. So I feel Hugh isn't completely to blame, but Hugh came in and promised us, I'm the guy that's going to make Deshaun Kaiser amazing. I'm going to do all this stuff, and he's not delivered. So I was more judging Hugh in the last two years on player development, and for me, it's not been good enough. Hmm, interesting. Because I think the player development has been outstanding, if honest with you. I think the plan was to tank not one but two years. I think it's fair to sit up there and say, well, we didn't know we were going to lose the, uh, that many games or so forth and so on. But let me ask you, winning one game the first year and then winning two or three games the next year, is it that really that big of a difference? And then, I mean, that for me, it's not that big of a difference. Because what I did personally was go back and look at the 2016 season. Not every game, but I went back and watched some games. And I looked at the quality of play in comparison to the 2017 season. And it was a big jump in player development and talent on this team. Even though their record did not indicate that, that they had improved. So I was willing to overlook that. And then I looked at the team. I looked at you had... The worst quarterback situation in NFL history. Let me repeat that. You had the worst quarterback situation in NFL history. Then on top of that, you had the worst secondary in the NFL. Think about this. You had the num- your number one quarterback. You got off the scrap heap 
because your rookie cornerback went down in training camp or in uh, in mini camp. So your number one corner, you 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 had a, a, a free safety who was who was trying to learn the position that converting from a linebacker's position, and then you had another cornerback who was basically a fourth or fifth cornerback on a good team. So you already off the top, you're you're dealing with an extreme disadvantage, and then on top of that. You went and you went up against Super Bowl contending teams and gave them hell. You didn't get beat 45 to nothing. You didn't get beat by, by 30 and 40 points and look bad. And, and you you went toe-to-toe with Minnesota. You went toe-to-toe and outplayed Jacksonville, Minnesota, Tennessee, uh, Pittsburgh twice with a vastly inferior roster. That tells me that the coaching staff is doing its job. They just didn't have enough players, in particular the quarterback situation. I know my good buddy John Costco mentioned this, that Deshaun Kaiser was so bad that an average quarterback like Tyrod Taylor would, would have won a minimum, just his presence alone, would have won a minimum five games with the Browns last year. That tells me that it wasn't Hugh Jackson's play calling. It was the fact that the Kaiser wasn't getting the ball there. And if you look at all 22, look at all 22 like I do, he, he, the, well, the average fan only sees the ball when it's in the air. But if you look at all 22, he missed guys that were wide open. That's why I predicted, I predicted all offseason. I said the three guys to watch on offense in the in the offseason that showed up on OL on all 22 when a legitimate quarterback were one, Rashad Higgins, two, Corey Coleman, and three, David Njoku. Deshaun Kaiser was almost insubordinate in throwing the ball over the middle. He was late. He 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 chose to throw the ball deep when he didn't have to. It wasn't the it wasn't the offense of Hugh Jackson. It was the poor execution and quarterback play. And then you have that segment of people who will come out and say, "Well, he should have run the ball more." Now, let me ask you: If you're a defensive coordinator, are you going to allow the Browns uh, with Deshaun Kaiser run the ball down your throat consistently? Oh no! Even if I got to put twelve guys in a box, they are not running the ball because it's it's a it's below fifty fifty. Is Kaiser's going to hit the guy if he's wide open anyway? So, one question to throw at you, and it's just a straight yes/no. Okay. Is McCarron worth a second and a third round pick? No. Well, Hugh Jackson convinced Haslam, and they were going to do it, but my boy Sashi said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not happening." And he 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 died on a cross for that. He died for the sins of the franchise, and he stopped that trade because this is a quarterback that Hugh Jackson wanted to give away a second and a third for, that is currently losing in a quarterback battle to five interception Nate Peterman and Josh Allen. And that is literally how bad this guy is. But Hugh was convinced this is the guy that's going to take us there. And the thing that annoys me most is I've got no issue with going winless last season. And I know that's going to hurt some fans. Sorry, guys. Get over it. But um, why sack... Sashi Brown, because Sashi Brown's gone around building a franchise that can go places, and this will lead into our next question. But either, for me, you sack both, or you sack none of them. I think it was really unfair on Sashi, who literally, I don't think he'd have been sacked if he'd have stopped that, 
If he'd have allowed Hugh to get away with giving up a second and a third round pick for uh, AJ McCarron, I think he's still there. But for that one reason, he went, no, this isn't happening. And they sacked him for that. And for me, get rid of both or you don't sack Sashi. I I agree with you, but there's a lot more to the story than what you're saying. Okay? Let me tell you. What what what, what happened was is that Sashi had put in a two year plan. He said, Look, we're gonna we're gonna essentially tank for two years. Hold on. Okay? Sa- Sasha, hold on, what I want to say. Sashi always said it's a three year plan. First year we tank, second year I've got no idea. Third year we have success and we move forward. So it was always a three year plan with Sashi. He always said it from day one. It was never a two year plan. Okay, okay. A two year it was two years of tanking. I do remember that. It was you gonna have two full seasons of tanking. Yeah. Okay. The the problem was the problem was that it wasn't Sashi, it wasn't Hugh. It was the owner that was doing this. The, if you approve a plan and you say, look, Sashi, you got two or three years to get this done, right? Why are you asking questions? Uh, not necessarily. When, when people like Jimmy Haslam start asking you questions, that means like he's upset and he's about to fire somebody. Okay? So he started asking questions. Hugh, why aren't we winning, man? Well, because, man, I, I don't have a quarterback to be able to, to, you know, to get the ball to run my offense. Well, who do you recommend? Who do you recommend? I mean, we could get A.J. McCarron. He's familiar with my system, so forth and so on. So we could get him. Well, Sashi, go ahead and, and trade for A.J. McCarron. Now, if you're Cincinnati and you see that the Browns are in this desperate situation, of course you're going to jack up the price. You'll be a fool not to. A fool. That's how that trade came about. That's how it really came about. And it got to a point where Sashi did the right thing. He said, I- I'm not doing this. This this ain't going to go on my record as, as a general manager, me doing this. It got to a point, and this is what I was told. It got to a point where they, they, they got to a point where they hated each other, basically hated each other. Somebody had to go. Now, this is what I would have done. First of all, Jimmy Haslam shouldn't be asking questions a year and a half into the situation when you gave me two or three years to to rebuild, okay? What I would have done is, I would have said, Sasha, you're the president, and I've heard that Hugh has a better relationship with Andrew Barry. Andrew Barry, you're not a general manager. Yep. That's, I would have never hired John Dorsey. I would have never fired Sashi. I would have said, you know what? You oversee the entire thing and let and let Andrew Barry work with you on getting the proper players that he needs or wants. Because what happened was, was that Sashi, Sashi is in the mode of, of the general, the, the guy, Howie Roseman. He's an executive. He's going to listen to everybody and then make a decision. And sometimes he was not going to get who he wants, and that's where the, that's where it, it, it went down the road right there. And Hugh couldn't accept that. Hugh's a, you you're asking an analytics guy, a Harvard guy, analytics guy to get along with a, a pure football guy, and it led to a bad marriage. Okay, good, good. I think we need to move on, otherwise we're going to be on this topic all night long. Um, what, uh, Hiram? What's your views on? Uh, Trading back in the draft, is this a good idea? Depends on the situation. If if I have no problem if you need a bunch of picks or a guy isn't there that you want and, and so forth and so on, I have no problem with trading back. But 
it, it's too it's too open ended to sit up there and say I don't like trading back or this and so forth and so on. Whether people want to admit it or not, teams look at fit when they look at ball players. Not every ball player like that's like if Danny Shelton was coming out this year and Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator. He's not going. He more than likely he's not going to get drafted by the Browns because he does not fit what they want. That's why he was traded. So you you have to look at fit. You got to look at the player. You got to look at a whole lot of different things. It's it's not as cut and dry as saying uh, I don't like trading back or trading up. I, I'm 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 one of those guys that I don't like trading up. I don't like giving away my picks. I want to stack my roster with as much talent like a Bill Belichick. I, I want to put eight eight really good ball players at one position and then let and let it play out itself. That's that's how I would do it, and that's why I was against trading Corey Coleman. So, as an example, I'm I'm gonna look at the big picture and just give me a minute while I go through. So, the draft is a massive gamble. It's literally a game of poker. Anything can happen. Whether you look from Bill Belichick to what the Seahawks did. They've had great years and they've had bad years. It's all just a wild crab shoot. And reaching back to um, Zach Moore's book, Caponomics, Building a Super Bowl Champion, he had some research in there from it's one.call.customer of SB Nation's bloggingtheboys.com. He looked at all the picks from 2010 to 2015 and who became starters based on a player starting eight games in a single season. And if you just go through it round by round, what percentage of picks became starters? Round one, 83%. Round two, 62%. Round three, 49%. Round four, 30%. Round five, 23%. Round six, 15%. Round seven, 11%. So we're not going to be able to really assess Sashi's draft and what happened there until 2020. But my aim for how you'd build a team is every year I'd want my team to be having three first round picks two second-round picks, two third-round picks, a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, a seventh-round pick. Because the odds say, if you look at them numbers that were put together, you get 24 starters over a four-year period from your 44 picks. And that's not counting all the players that go on to become rotational and backup players or players you keep on a fifth-year option. So if you get 24 starters every four years, you're not going to be able to keep them all. So you're going to have a choice of, do you re-sign some? And re-signing a player that's already with you is a lot cheaper than free agency. Do you trade others? Do some you just let go and they become back to you in what is that? Uh, conditional picks? And sort of the best and most stable teams in the NFL build their rosters through the draft. So... Don't expect any of your players that you then go out and draft if you build a really good team to start week one, even to start in their first season. Unless they're a running back, you don't expect any of them to go out and become week one or even first season performers. So then when you build a phenomenal roster, you've got all these young players because you've traded back on cheap, cheap deals. When one of them busts in a key position, you can go out and you can spend whatever you want in free agency because you've got a massive pot of money to do whatever you feel like with it. So... I'd really just always not trade back to the extent of if you want to trade a first and someone gives you a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh for the next 10 years, it's not worth doing. I'm talking about like the fourth round pick. However much I love Ward, and I think Ward's going to become a great player for us, 
If we could have got a deal from, say, the Bills to have two firsts and a second, I'm doing that trade all day long because that sets you up. And every year, if you get that three firsts, two seconds, two thirds, four fifths, six and seventh, your franchise year on year is set up. And I don't want to build a Super Bowl winning team. I want to build a dynasty. And that's how you go about doing it in my eyes. I understand, and I understand perfectly where you're coming from, but you got to understand, <clears throat> and Jake Burns was saying this, he said that he fought Sashi because he became, he he built, he, he tore down too much. And I talked to Jake about this, and I told him, you know what, Jake, there's no perfect way on how, how there's no there's more than one way to skin a cat when you come down to rebuilds. Look at the Seahawks now. They're doing it, you know, with a few veterans here. Will we replace, you know, they're doing it, the traditional way of, you know, we're going to keep some some veterans and, and then build around them. And then you know, when they get too old, we're going to get rid of them, displace them, and, and get some younger guys. Whereas Sashi, on the other hand, I, I'm going to tear it all down and build with young guys. And then I'm going to go out and get some veterans. There's pros and cons to each one. But your your way of doing it is, is a, in my opinion, I would love to do it that way, but it might be a little idealistic because of the fact that Buffalo, just as an example, they would not trade two number ones to try to get it. Dorsey tried to do it, but they wouldn't do it. He asked for two number ones, let alone two number ones and a second. They wouldn't do it. They just simply wouldn't do it. If you can do it that way, that's fine, but it might be a bit idealistic because, first of all, you you might in, in in a perfect world you might not be drafting that high in in a situation and then and again teams it, it just depends on the situ- on on the year teams might be like you know what I like this player just as much so I'll just sit back and wait and wait for one of them to fall just a bit idealistic yeah um, it, it, like I said you you can you can build a team many different ways I would have preferred the way of what Seattle was doing if I was the general manager, but I had I had no problem if you're willing to stick it out and understand the whole process. And I questioned Cleveland fans and Cleveland media if they really did were doing it the way Sashi did. My my one thing I question on the uh, Seahawks, and we'll come on back to it later when my second question gets floated. But I genuinely fear that the Seahawks Super Bowl window is now gone because now they're paying. Russell Wilson, lots of money. There's not that much money left on the rest of the roster to pay these players. And their draft in the last two, three years has not been great. So it's one of them that understand what you're saying of, and I'll hold my hands up, Sashi made lots of mistakes. And we're getting on to one in the next question. But um, I just look at it and just go, if you continue to make them high picks and bring in quality players each year, and you'll trade some of them off. And if you look at the Patriots, they dumped Chandler Jones, which I don't know if you saw the uh, video the other day where he just tears apart that um, tackling sled because he's an amazing pass rusher. And it's one thing they've struggled with in the last few years, pass rush. So I think you still got to go and just go, let's trade away them top quality players, even if they're is the value you're going to give them in a contract for the next five years worth it for your franchise? And if it's not, trade them off and just bring them picks back. I agree with you, but let me just hip you on to some things that Bill Belichick does and that 
I'm just shocked that, that some of the general managers don't pick up on this. And it tells me something about their egos. Bill Belichick operates like this. If you're not, depending on your contract situation, I would rather trade you a little bit too early. In the case of Chandler Jones, it was way too early. I will say, I would rather trade you too early than too late. You see that you see this constantly with him, with Brandon Cooks, with uh, uh, Jamie Collins, all throughout the years. He tried to trade Rob Gronkowski too, but he'd rather trade. And this is the other thing that Bill Belichick does that sets him apart from everybody else. If you look at his roster, his roster is filled. All throughout his career, he did this when he was in Cleveland. I have to emphasize this. Look at his It's filled with guys who were displaced when the new general manager came in. Let me give you some examples. Philip Dorsett, Barkevius Mingo when he was there, Danny Shelton, Jason McCourty, uh, Mike Gillisley, um, Chris Hogan, and then some more guys. Remember with Jabbar, Jabbar, uh, uh, Trent Brown. There's a he does this. What he does is he sit back. He sits back and says, "Okay, this is what I need. I need this particular skill set." Oh, Eric Rowe was another one that he stole from Philadelphia. Uh, let me let me see who's the new general manager. He's going to look at and you know when a new general manager comes in, he wants to bring in his own guys and looking for any excuse not to give the other guys the other guy. Uh, uh, the other general managers' players a chance to succeed because he doesn't want to give them that credit, which is so childish. But he sits back and he looks. Okay, this do you got a new general manager? Let me look at their roster. What do I need? Oh, I need a big defensive tackle. Let me call up John Dorsey see what he wants for Danny Shelton. He he does this consistently, and other teams don't do it. Eric Rowe is a is a good player. A, a good that he stole because a new regime came in. They didn't like him. And they wanted to get rid of him, and he helped them to win the Super Bowl. Other teams don't do that. And it goes back, and Belichick is one of those guys. He stack, he does it the same way. He stacks draft picks, and he blows a lot of draft. He's missed on a lot of draft picks, too. But it's the, it's the numbers that, that you mentioned that helped him to build that roster up to the point where not only is he a good coach and a good talent evaluator, but he also was able to stack that roster and, and get a lot of talent based on pure numbers in the draft, too. All right, guys. Trying to keep this as short as we possibly can, but obviously great debate. Here we go. Corey Coleman. Are you a fan or not a fan? Uh, Hiram, what, let's start with yourself. Um, I was a fan of Corey Coleman. I understood that he was raw. I, I was beyond the scope of my knowledge about his route running and stuff like that. However, I have seen guys say that um, his route running was improving. And I don't know. It had to be. To get rid of him at this stage, it had to be something personal. from Not only from the general manager, but from the head coach, coaching staff point of view. It had to be. And it had to be, in my in my opinion, from what I I I know and what has been reported, not only was it personal, but it had to be bordering a hatred of the guy, in my opinion, because the guy had some unfortunate injuries. He had the worst quarterback play, and people blamed him because he was a number one pick. And said he's a bum. He can't catch. He dropped four passes all in one year. All of last year, he dropped four passes. But to sit up there and say 
based on I had gotten wind of the fact that he was listening to Jarvis Jarvis Landry about six weeks ago. And things were changing. He was trying to make amends on some of the things that he was doing that he pissed off the coaches, obviously pissed off somebody about. And to sit up there, and I also was there when I was at training camp when he had probably the, he was probably the best player on the field that day. And you got a seventh round pick. Now, I say this, he pissed off Hughes so bad that he didn't want to be bothered with him. And then you have a new general manager who has no ties to him, who, by the way, I've heard some things about on why he was let go in Kansas City. That's not too good. Uh, I, I'll say that if you want. I'll save it if you want me to. I mean, I'll, I'll mention it again if you want me to. But it, it led to a, a, a situation where I don't like this guy and a general manager. I don't have any ties to him, so let's get rid of him. It, it led to a perfect storm. And my, the type of general manager that I would want is this. This guy's a talented ball player. Let's give him a clean slate. Let's, um, let's uh, see if he's willing to you know, do the things that we want him to do, so forth and so on. And they weren't, able, they weren't willing to do that. And I'm not so sure that's the type of general manager, head coach that, personally, if I was an owner, I, I wouldn't want them in place. I want talent. I want I want somebody who can work with everybody. Not, oh, he's not my guy, or he came, he's spending ten, fifteen thousand dollars on props. Whatever he does, I want that talent and let it and let it play out. And especially if he's trying to change a lot of different things that he's trying that he was doing wrong. That type of talent like Corey Coleman, what what he did to Jalen Ramsey and Janoris Jenkins in his rookie year. You just don't let that walk out the building for nothing. I'm I'm sorry. I I must disagree with them on that. And uh, uh and, and let me just say this. I wasn't shocked because from what I've heard, I've heard from more than one person more than one person has told me this is the type of person John Dorsey is. This is what I heard from several people. So I'll just leave it like that. Jack, what's your opinion? So for me, I I, I reach back to the Ramsey point. It's smoked Ramsey, the Rams, and I'd encourage everyone. We've had Jake Burns on before. Go and watch Jake Burns break down to Corey Coleman. So many good plays and so much promise there. And Dorsey sort of came out and said in a press conference that it was about um, Corey Coleman's on-field play and his development. And I just it makes no sense to me. It was like. Why not risk a really cheap price another one year of Corey Coleman because he's come in and, hey, uh, as a Sashi lover, I'll still stand there. You don't take wide receivers in round one in my eyes, so I wouldn't have touched him. But at the same time, the guy's got something. He's shown it in them flashes, whether it's just carving up Jalen Ramsey, whether it's the other stuff he's done that Jake Burns showed. He was worth another year because... If they'd have turned around to me and gone, oh, we've got a third round pick in the offseason, I'd have gone, I had arguments, I said, look, that that's my bar. If you get a third round pick for him in the offseason before training camp or any OTA start, I was happy to let him go. And that's where I set the level. But I just fear that we've got a wide receiver room that is really lacking in talent and reliability. You've got Landry, and then once you go past Landry, you've got Gordon and Callaway that are completely unreliable. If anyone who's a Browns fan goes, oh no, them two are going to be great wide receivers all year, then I don't know what they're watching because neither of them 
can be trusted to stay away from questionable circumstances, play 16 games and deliver. And then John Dorsey came out and I don't know whether he just misspoke or he just doesn't know what he's doing. When he was talking about Callaway and he was saying, if I knew about the Callaway incident, I wouldn't not necessarily would have traded Corey yeah. Coleman. It's like either you want to trade Corey Coleman and you're happy oh, you, you want to do it and back it 100%, even if privately you're like, oh, it might not have been the best idea in the world, but you back it. To come out publicly to the media and go, yeah, I'm not sure it was a great idea, just sounds like you're incompetent. And if so, even though Dorsey's come out publicly and said it was to do with his on-field work, if it is his off-field work, and I genuinely think it is probably down to his off-field work, if we are truly getting rid of Corey Coleman for a seventh-round pick in 2020 because of his off-field game, why on earth are we ever linked to Des Bryant? Des Bryant is like Corey Coleman on steroids for misbehaving. He is pro- problem child probably number one in terms of NFL wide receivers. So it just doesn't add up. If you're pleading with the media to try and get Des Bryant to ring you and you're mm-hmm. getting rid of Corey Coleman for off-field issues, either mm-hmm. you don't understand how the NFL works or you are seeing mm-hmm. something completely different to what we're all seeing. And it's just it's probably my biggest frustration if throw away Corey Coleman for nothing and then pay Des Bryant silly money. <laughs> well, let, let me, not to interrupt you, but when it was, you remember when John Dorsey got the job and said, well, we got to get some real players in here. You remember him saying that? Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, sorry, can I that just wasn't ask you? A fraud, th- that wasn't a Freudian slip. John Dorsey, this is this is what I've learned about John Dorsey. When he, and, and like I said, several people have told me this. There were three reasons why he was fired in Kansas City. One, because he had very poor communication skills, which I can see. Secondly, he screwed up the salary cap. Here's the whopper. Here's the whopper about John Dorsey that ultimately that that has me scared to death of the guy. He was fired. One of the other reasons why, when it came down to, uh, you know, he inherited. Justin Houston and Eric Berry and some other free agents. Word is is that he didn't want to resign any of those guys. And the reason he didn't was they they're not my guy. I didn't draft them. They're, let's let them go. In essence, what what he wanted to do was let those guys go, lose, and then just to get his guys in. But in Kansas City, you had somebody like Andy Reid who was a like a checks and balances, a, a check a check to John Dorsey. And does he have that? In, he's going to bring that same. He's going to bring that same mentality. He's already. He's already asked. He's going to bring that same mentality here. And this time, he doesn't have a, a Andy Root, a Andy Reid to stay in front of him and say, "No, this ain't right." And I'm going to go to the owner. He doesn't have that. He's going to. He he. What this trade reminds me of is, I don't know if you followed Andy when years ago when they had a guy by the name of Brandon Phillips and traded him for nothing because of a per. This was personal. From Hugh's point of view, and this was a thing. Well, this wasn't my guy because uh, I didn't draft him. Because if the shoe was on the other foot, if John Dorsey had drafted Corey Coleman and he had the injuries and the poor quarterback play, do you think he would have got rid of him that fast? I would say hell no. It's, it's one of them things that I genuinely fear we might see after, maybe not after this season, but after next season. Just like Miles Garrett going for a second round pick, 
And it's just like, why did he get around, rid of Miles Garrett? Oh, he, he didn't fit what I wanted to do. And it was like, no, there'll be no explanation of it. It was just like, it's a gut instinct of like, oh, I thought I thought it was the best thing to do. And it's just like, it just drives me mad that if he'd have come out and he'd have gone, Corey Coleman, couldn't do anything, he misbehaved, we didn't want him in this locker room, fine. But then you've got to make sure everyone you bring into this locker room is perfect. You don't start exactly. signing Callaway that failed a piss test at the Combine because <laughs> you can't tell me that... Corey Coleman's too hard to deal with, but someone right. that is like getting caught with drugs in their car and failed a piss test is suddenly a good person. You, you've either got to treat everyone the same way, and that's all I want. If you're just going, this is what we expect of a franchise, if you fall below that, we will trade you and get rid of you. And if, if Sashi Brown can get a fourth round pick for a punter, punters aren't even real people. And if punters are listening to this podcast, I'm sorry, but deal with it. They're not real players. And if you can get a fourth-round pick for a punter, how on earth can you get a seven-round pick next year for a promising wide receiver? It just blows my mind. Well, well, let me just tell you this, and then we'll move on if you want. Well, I watched Hard Knocks the other day. Yeah. And it was something that struck my mind about Corey Coleman. And the whole, it was a play where Haley said, Corey, go and run through that ball and get that ball. Show some heart and show some some courage and something, he said. And I said to myself, after I watched it, I said, does, does this was like the second or third day of practice. Does Todd Haley know Corey Coleman on that level to be able to sit up there and say he has no heart or courage and, and is lazy? What it was is that they've been poised. They've been, you know, how you poison the will about somebody, and, and they they automatically start to think that person who you're talking about is a bad seed, no matter what they do or what they say. They have poisoned the will on Corey Coleman before he got. They bet no matter what Corey Corey Coleman could have been, Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, though that whole week they were going to get rid of him no matter what. They wanted no part to him. And what I'm saying and what I know is the all excuses that they come up with does not fit the fact that you got rid of him for basically nothing. Because a better situation with a, a general manager that had drafted him wouldn't have got rid of him that fast. They would have said, we're going to give this guy because he's trying to change and he's trying to do things right. We're going to give him. We're going to stick it out with him. They would not have given that guy away for basically nothing. This was personal on Hughes' part, and this was my guyism from John Dorsey's part. There's no question in my mind about that. Okay. All right, keep an eye on the time. Moving on. Jack, yes, next sir. question. Yeah, so I floated a question I spoke about in the podcast the other day. I don't know whether you're a, a fan of this one or uh, you think I've just lost the plot, and I can understand either way. So the question I'm going to float to you and just give me your true, honest take is, unless your quarterback is... Rogers or Brady level, then you are better trading them after the five years and drafting a new one and continuing to build a quality over your entire roster than paying them over 10% of your salary cap. Off the top of my head, I will agree. I will agree. Off the top of my head, there are some guys. I think when I think the mistake that a lot of old school general managers make is and it's been proven that to be wrong. You have to have a franchise quarterback to win. 
it has been proven that you have a decent quarterback, you can win with that. It, it's I'm one of those people where it's might be a little bit too open ended to sit up there and say yes or no, but giving the guy that Joe Flacco the type that type of money, no, you you can't do that. Either either you need to have the Drew Brees or you need to be investing in Baker Mayfield. I wasn't a Sam Darnold fan. He makes too many mistakes. Or or Josh Rosen. I was a big Josh Rosen fan. Um, you you need to be investing in one of those young quarterbacks and, and to see if you can find the right guy. Giving that type of money to an average quarterback, you, you can't do it. No. I, I would tend to agree. No, it's, it's, it's one of them. Uh, it's, it's my view. Because if you're looking at, let's take Joe Flacco, and I'll work the way out. So Brady going into this season is on $20.5 million. And then, so if you're looking at any team better the uh, paying more for a quarterback than Brady, you better be getting something better than Brady. So you've got Joe Flacco over 22 million, Alex Smith 23 and a half, Andrew Luck nearly 25, Drew Brees 25, Derek Carr 25, Matt Stafford 27, Jimmy Garoppolo 27 and a half, Kirk Cousins 28, and Matt Ryan 30. And if you're thinking if you're the Falcons paying 10 million a year more for your quarterback than Brady, you've got to have some incredible roster. And for me, there's two franchise quarterbacks out there in the NFL. I'm going to say there's Brady, there's Rodgers. Breeze is so close. And trying to put my finger on how close he is, I'm not sure, but it's it's close, but it's just shy. And what I'd say is, if you're looking at your franchise and going... We're not going to spend that money on a quarterback ever. We'll split that money across all the different other positions in the NFL and we'll add two million to our wide receivers, two million to our O line, two million to our D line, two million to our cornerbacks, and you start just sort of dividing it up. Then suddenly you've got just a great franchise in other places. And too often you see someone like, let's just look in our division, Andy Dalton has paid good money to be not very good. So for me, if you just work on the mindset, and I think the Rams might break the mould here because I question whether they're going to extend Goff after some of their recent moves. I think if they pay Aaron Donald, don't think they extend Goff. So I think we might see a franchise bold enough to go, actually, we've had five good years out of this quarterback. They're not amazing, but they're just solid. Let's pop another one in there. And if you have sort of a carry-in quarterback to take you and I just think... Any team that is chasing a franchise running back, a franchise quarterback, franchise any position, are mad. There is not enough world-class talent on any roster to carry you there. So if you just go, and the Patriots are the perfect example, they have not very, other than sort of Brady, and I'd maybe look at sort of Gilmore has flirted with it, and you've got Hightower's probably there, and Gronkowski. Other than that, there is no real tier one talent on that team. But if you look at the amount of tier two talent they've got, nearly every position's got two or three tier two talents. And yep. that kind of quality just reeks through. And for me, I want to see us just go, rather than chase the quarterback every year as a mm-hmm. Browns franchise, I think we might be there with Baker. Let's have five years, great years of Baker. And taking a quarterback that's had three years in college as a starter is just so much better than everyone else. And then you go, we're just going to have an amazing talent in any, every other room. And I want a battle in every camp of 
who's going to be the three of the four, the sort of four of the six linebackers, who's going to stay? And we'll trade the other two on because they're that in demand that they're on a good contract. Someone wants to grab them and we'll move them. But if you build your franchise to have so much talent in every position that the quarterback doesn't matter, then you're going to win not one ring. I want several rings. And for me, that's the only way to do it. Unless, obviously, if you find that uh, Brady or Rogers talent, extend them and pay them and pay them. But if you don't, you've got to have a backup plan. That's what I would do. And we'd go back to roster building. And you said the man's name again, Bill Belichick. Roster bill. You look at his. You look at his roster. I mean, Danny Sheldon, who I think is a very quality ball player, is is, is the number two guy. I mean, Malcolm Brown, Lawrence Guy. I mean, uh, Trey Fly. I mean, he just knows how to roster build. I mean, and 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 here's the other thing that that irritates me with media and fans. Oh, well, the Browns have traded yet another number one pick. Well. When you have five general managers in seven years, and each of them with big egos, well, some of them didn't have. I don't think Ray Farmer had a big ego. I don't think Sashi had that big of an ego. I didn't agree with Sashi on trading Cam Irving, but that's all another story. When you have a five general managers in seven years, you're this is what happens. So this is what happens if you're wishing for Hugh to get fired. You're going to have another situation where you're going to be hemorrhaging talent because that new head coach, along with your general manager, is going to be like, well, he doesn't fit what we want. He, I didn't bring him in. Let's go on and get rid of him. And yet the cycle is going to keep going on and on. The, the Browns' number one picks have not all been bad ball players. Look at Cam Irving. Cam Irving finally. Is starting to blossom, and he's looking good from what I've heard. You could see the talent when he was here, but we had a new coach. We had a new general manager. They wanted their own guy. They didn't want to invest in him because they didn't draft him, so forth and so on. Same with Danny Shelton. There's nothing wrong with Danny Shelton. Danny Shelton just didn't fit the scheme because, yet again, you got a new head coach with a new defensive coordinator who wanted their own guys, and he didn't fit the scheme. And the cycle goes on. Corey Coleman, we just mentioned. The cycle goes on and on and on. It's not that these ball players were bad. It's just that the situation didn't lend itself because you keep changing things, and it goes back to poor ownership, and it goes back to poor roster building. Simple yeah. as that. Okay, great. Hiram, what's your uh, views on uh, the roster at the moment? I think, looking at the roster, I think if the Browns play as hard with the upgrade and talent that they have, if the Browns play like they did last year, this is a 7-9 to nine win ball team. 7-9? to nine. Yeah, 7-9 to nine win. I, I'm, minimum 7 wins. Uh, John Cos- me and John Costco were talking. He said this is a 3-11 to 11 win ball team. I think I would say seven. I I could see a seven to nine wins. Seven to nine wins, easily. I think for me, the roster's got a lot of talent. I fear Dorsey's action of the "not my guys, I'm going to dump them." For me, yep. there's four areas of weakness. You've got wide receiver, left tackle, defensive tackle, and cornerback. And they're sort of the four areas that I fear we need to add just a little bit more talent. For me, we need to. Jordan, you said, oh, excuse, excuse me. You said left tackle, defensive tackle, wide receiver, and cornerback. So wide receiver, left tackle, defensive tackle, and cornerback. They're the four areas I want to add okay. talent. Okay. And mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I want to get a bit more trade value. That sort of fourth round for a punter versus what we got for Corey Coleman. I just even if we bring Sashi back as vice president for trading stuff away, that that will do me because the stuff he is able to turn over great. Des why why just don't add him. There's there's enough players out there. Whether we add another tight end to the room, I'm fine with that. You've got Landry. He's he's not a top five wide receiver. It just drives me mad that we paid him as sort of a in the same level of Antonio Brown, of Odell Beckham Jr. He's not that good. And I like, I'll, I'll flip to a positive of what Dorsey's done with the cornerback room. I think he's done a really good job with the one year, no real risk players and see what happens. But the cap spending's getting out of control. The fact that we're going to go into this season as probably one of the biggest spenders in cap in the entire NFL, most of our fans are completely unaware because... They see of, oh, you've got £50 million left of cap. What they don't understand is we're paying over the average of nearly every other team already. And if it continues, suddenly we're going to get to a Super Bowl window and then it's like, oh, we're going to have to get rid of Miles Garrett. Why? Because you can't afford to pay him. And why are we putting ourselves in this position? It's infuriating. It's like these should be our cheap years where if we're fresh in and adding more young talent and instead... He's spent a bit too much money already, and I fear it's only going to get worse. Well, the thing is that they want to come in and win now. So they're willing to spend, and and, and, and in fairness to John Dorsey, a lot of these contracts you can get out get out of very easily. So it, it, it won't be as difficult or as bad as what you're saying, because like TJ Carey, uh, uh, High, those are essentially one-year deals. So it won't be as bad in, in, in the... And the encouraging thing is the guy who was running the, the, the money part of it is Paul DePodesta. Uh, and he's very wise, very good at what he does. I, I don't know if John Dorsey's going to listen to him or not or whatever, whatever. But the thing is that a lot of these ball, a lot of the contracts that you mentioned, you can get out of very easily. Mm-hmm. So it won't be quite as bad, but he does have a spending problem. I just – but and on the other hand is that they want to come out and win right away. They don't want, you know, the fans are mad, the owner's mad because he listens to the fans and to the media. They want to win. And, you know, spending a little bit more or, or I mean, by time by time they're a Super Bowl contender, you might, half of these guys might be gone anyway. So you got to look at it in that aspect too. Yeah, I just fear if he goes out and he has, say, Des Bryant, he adds Jonathan Hankins and he adds Brashad Breland, then suddenly that's another what sort of 20, 25 million pounds worth of talent this year and suddenly that's a massive cap hit and I just fear that it might just be John Dorsey's bad at speaking to the media along with you and I hope that's the case but I just I fear when the spending frenzy is going to end because he's linked to everyone and that that's just the media being lazy with lots of their takes but yes. I don't know where it's going and I'm worried. But don't, if they de-assign those guys outside of Breland, it'll probably be a one-year deal. I think Breland is looking for a two-year deal. Hankins, and I was told that he's not what they're looking for. I think they're waiting for somebody to get cut. Um, I under Most people say the same things you're saying about where they're weak at. I look at other teams' secondary and other teams' backup defensive lines, and they, they're they're not much better than the Browns. I can tell you that. I, I look at our lads a lot. and The thing is that 
some people want superstars at every every position. And the cornerback, the cornerback thing, I think is a silent. I, EJ Gaines was a number two with uh with Greg Williams, uh, Terrence Mitchell, and and guys like that. I, you can win with those guys. I mean, I, I mean, I'm looking at New England's with Eric Rowe and you know a couple other guys. Just, it, I mean, look at Philadelphia's corners. I mean, they weren't all that. They weren't dynamic there. I mean, I, some of it is scheme. Some of it is guys maybe have a career year. Some of it is it's a lot of different things that go into it. I, I'm happy overall with the job that John Dorsey has done to this point. I don't agree with everything that he's done or said. He does scare me because when cut down time to come, you know there's going to be a lot of movement. And I think he's going to play the my as you said the my guyism and yeah. and so forth and so on, and that's going to go on. But back to your point, like I said, I understand about the spending, and I don't like it per se. But considering the fact that they do want to win, and considering the fact that um, um, they were deficient in so many areas, and the contracts can get rid of, you can get out of very easily. I, had no, I, I, I turned a blind eye to it at this point in time. Yeah. Well, look, thank you so much for your time and thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been, a, a, it's been an amazing uh, debate. Jack, how do you think it went? I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's good to sort of bounce some ideas off of other fans. So, by all means, if you're a fan out there like Lee Stevenson, that we, me and Lee can argue about the colour of the Browns jerseys for like five and a half hours so if you're out there and you've got questions reach out if you want to come on and join us for answering questions like we had Chris the other day or if you just want to come on and have a chat about different topics by all means get in touch because it's not just our show it's your show as well and uh, thank you Hiram for coming on and getting involved thank you guys your Twitter handle it's uh, at Hiram Boy. Great. Jack, your handle? So my Twitter handle is at Jack Duffin, J-A-C-K-D-U-F-F-I-N. And it's uh, Paul Brown underscore UK. So guys, thank you. thank you very much for your time. Hiram, thank you very much for coming on, investing so much time. And uh, yeah, apologies. Uh, about five minutes ago, we had a bit of a technical problem. The beers went on the laptop. You may hear a bang when you listen this back. It's a technical problem. He threw my Mac at me and my beers hit me. So, uh... Okay. <laughs> guys, I appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a good one now. You too. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot now. All right, have a good one now. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.